0: Hey Forge family, in our last podcast, the Lord spoke that he was zealous for his land and would have deep compassion on the suffering people of Judah. He also shared a number of promises and prophecies, some of which were short term, like full bellies, restored burnt offerings, a re-greened pasture in the wilderness, and fruit harvested out of season. He promised to restore the early and the late rains and then to send the teacher of righteousness for their vindication. As for what the locust swarms had stripped away, he promised restitution. Protection was prophesied in that when the massed army of Gentile allies comes to destroy Judah and Jerusalem, they will be split up and shattered, driven east into the Dead Sea and west into the Mediterranean. Over and over, he said that he would see to it that his people would never again be put to shame. That statement is cast into the far distant future to be fulfilled at the end of the day of the Lord. Partial fulfillment of his promise to pour out his spirit on all mankind was fulfilled on Pentecost. That's the birthday of the church. With the tongues of fire and the unknown languages poured out, Out on the 120 who sat in the upper room in Jerusalem and then flooded into the streets, touching the hearts of people who wondered that they could understand the message spoken by Galileans. Lastly, there was a series of prophetic words on fire, blood, and cloud with celestial signs in the sky as the Lord turned back to the prophecy on the day of the Lord, some of which was tied to Zechariah's prophecies. All right, let's pray. Holy Lord, we come this week of Pentecost bowing before you, thankful for your promises, protection, and provision. As you promised, there's to be more of Holy Spirit to be poured out. We want that, Lord. Some of us have sustained losses during this plague season. So we come together and ask for full restitution. We all long for your presence. So we wait on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now chapter 2 of Joel finished with that scene of the battle on Mount Zion that Zechariah prophesied. It is set in the hours before the physical return of Jesus to earth to fight And to reign. Grab your copy of the book of Joel and turn with me to chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Quote For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel, who have been scattered among the nations and they have divided my land. They have also cast lots for my people, traded a boy for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Unquote. Here, no one knows the timing on this passage and where it fits with the day of the Lord. It is when he will restore the fortunes of Israel and Jerusalem, The idiom of restoration speaks of bringing the Israelites out of captivity. In the gathering of the diaspora of the Jews, it is to be a sign that the Lord will judge the nations that gobbled them up. There could be no restoration of the people of Israel unless there comes a judgment of God on the nations that oppressed and enslaved, that marginalized and slaughtered them. Here he says, he will gather the nations For judgment. But we know that is to be the battle of Armageddon. In in the Jezreel Valley. At the end of the day of the Lord. Here in Joel the Lord says. He will gather all the nations to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now that is not the valley. Named in 2nd Chronicles 20. In which the forces of Jehoshaphat. Led out by the priests and the Levites singing. They got a chance to observe the decimation. And the, and the death of the armies of Moab, Ammon, and Mayunites as the Lord turned their swords on each other. That valley was called Barakah. Blessing. There is speculation as to where the valley of Jehoshaphat is to be located. Some say, oh, it's in, in Tekoa, south of, south of Bethlehem. Or some say it's in Jezreel. For though it is named here in Joel, it is not named elsewhere in Scripture. What we do know is that Jehoshaphat, that name means God is judge. So the Lord may simply be saying that whatever valley he chooses, it will be a valley of judgment. The Lord says he will gather the nations to that valley to judge them on behalf of his people and his inheritance, Israel. He brings charges against those nations that they had raided into Israel and Judah, and they had scattered the people into captivity, and further, they divided the land that they took from Israel. Those nations did not just rush in, do a smash and grab, and run home. They parceled off Israelite land that they had taken from the population. Then the Lord gets down to specific ill treatment of his people. The Israelite captives were auctioned off, sold into slavery, The imagery of a boy traded for a harlot is poignant. It is also translated by others that the boy was sold to be a harlot, a hideous fate. And a girl was traded for a a skin of wine. Either way, the boy and the girl were worth next to nothing. This text speaks of family decimation And human trafficking. Verse 7 gets around to naming the condemned nations. Moreover, what are you to me, O Tyre, Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you rendering me a recompense? But if you do recompense me, swiftly and speedily I will turn your recompense on your head. Since you have taken my silver and my gold, brought my precious treasures to your temples and sold the sons of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their territory. Behold, I am going to arouse them from the place where, they have, where you have sold them and return your recompense on your head. The naming of the Phoenician trading cities and the reference to the Philistines that had the five walled cities along the coast—they were Ashdod, Gaza, Ekron, Gath, and Ekron—and um, they were they were between the land of, of Judah and the Mediterranean. The naming of those of those uh, trading cities, if you will, is telling. These people groups were rank idolaters. The Mediterranean coast of the land of Israel was filled with with those who dealt in human suffering. They further acted as predators of opportunity when the vast armies came from Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, and later the Persians, which swept through Israel and Judah. That left a power vacuum in the region with the people of Israel sent into slavery and captivity. The named nations certainly took advantage of the people who survived and took chunks of land that they believed that they could hold in the face of occupying administrations. Note, the Lord does not name the big nations here in this text, but the perimeter nations that snatched his people into slavery. Further, the disseminated idolatry of Tyre Sidon and Philistia violated and corroded the covenant between the Lord and his people. These nations represented cultures that rejected Yahweh in favor of Baal, the Asherah, Dagon, etc. As such, these nations had no relationship with the Lord God. In fact, they were enemies of God and his people. Here, the Lord is asking those nations if they're paying him back for something he had done against them. Recompense is a payback. It is a retribution for perceived or real wrongdoing. The Lord asks if he has somehow violated them. The language is sarcastic. Another take on this is that the peoples of Western Canaan had it in for God's people, the Jews. And when they violated God's people, they violated Yahweh. Judah had been in a period of great prosperity, and wealth was accumulated and displayed. Then the Lord points out that these coastal nations had taken the gold and silver and precious things from the people of Judah and displaying them in their pagan temples. It's interesting that he takes ownership of the gold, silver, and precious things stripped from the enslaved peoples as if they were taken from him personally. The convoluted sentence on recompense simply means that the Lord will pay back for their predatory dealings with his people and any animosity toward him personally. Those nations of the Philistines and the Phoenicians had a quote Jewish issue, to borrow an Aryan phrase. They banned Jews from their lands. It was a harsh ethnic cleansing. They hated God's people, as have many other civilizations. To deal with the Jews, they sold them as slaves to the Greeks to send them far away from the Promised Land. At that time, the Ionians spread from Macedonia throughout the Aegean archipelago and into Western Asia Minor. They ran their economies on the back of slave labor. Their ships, their mines, their farms, their vineyards, and their manufacturing, all of that required human flesh to work themselves to death doing what their taskmasters ordered. It was into the maw of human trafficking that the Jews were sent. Little else vexes God more than savage inhumanity. Finally, in verse 7, the Lord begins to speak of punishment. He says he will arouse his people from the lands from where they've been sent, sold and sent, really. Restoring them to Israel. And that he personally will return the payback, the recompense on the heads of the Phoenicians and the Philistines. Now, this series of events in the history of Israel greatly predates the arrival of the vengeance of the Lord. Prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9. Okay. Okay. Zechariah 9, okay? Zechariah is writing approximately uh, about, around uh, the, the, the date um, 500. You know, somewhere between you know, uh, 521 and 580. Somewhere in there, okay? But I think Joel is writing about 835. And so there's 500 years between what Joel wrote and when <clears throat> in time... Artaxerxes III, whose nickname was Okus, had come upon Sidon, one of the Phoenician cities, in 343, whose army crushed the defenses and sold that population into slavery. Next came Alexander the Great, who decimated Tyre and the Philistine cities in 332 B.C. Verse 8 continues with the punishment due these predatory nations. Also, I will sell your sons and daughters into the hand of the sons of Judah, and they, will sell them, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a distant nation, as the Lord has spoken. Mention of the Sabaeans sharpens the punishment. The Sabaeans were a people group that inhabited the far, far south of the Arabian Peninsula and parts of Ethiopia across the Red Sea. The queen of Sheba was Sabean. The resulting judgment of the sons and daughters of the Western Canaanites would pass through the hands of Judah, Now, whether that's metaphorical, I have a hard time picturing the Jews in the slave trade because when they themselves were very sensitized to that, it was, it was forbidden, okay? Okay, perhaps they did. Perhaps they did exactly what the Lord says. The resulting judgment of the sons and daughters of the western Canaanites would pass through the hands of Judah and then be sold on and transported to a howling desert atmosphere to be slaves. The Sabaeans were also slave traders, and the western Canaanites could have been sold on to almost anywhere fronting the Indian Ocean and East Africa. All right, all right, Forge. I'm sure you've heard the quip about don't mess with Texas. Well, here's the reality of what happens when you mess with the Lord and his people. Recall the reference in Zechariah 14, 1, when the Lord says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. What had been stripped away from the enslaved people of Israel, the Lord promises it's coming back. The great sin of the Gentile world powers is their treatment of Israel to this day. This is repeatedly spoken of by the prophets. Today, we hear often of rising anti-Semitism in the West, of frequent rocket fire into Israeli neighborhoods and schools from Hezbollah forces in Lebanon, and the rage-filled rants of the Ayatollahs to the east in Iran that vow to erase Israel from the map. Israel's suffering is not over, as the day of the Lord prophesies. Now, if you have a relationship with Jews, pray for them, lift them before the Father, intercede that their eyes and hearts may be opened, as happened to the crowds of Pentecost in Jerusalem, when Holy Spirit came upon the 120 sitting in the upper room. God has not forsaken his people. And if he's not forsaken his people, how much more will he be with us and a shield around us who name his name? As we come to honor and thank the Lord for the beginning of the church on Pentecost, we too want more of Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father of lights who gives good gifts. Thank you for more insight into your ways and how you care for your people Israel now and into the future. We are recipients of some of those good gifts. A land where we can name your name. Where we can meet without fear. Where we have freedom by faith through grace so that we no longer carry the burdens of sin and guilt. Foul memory and shame. You have given us Holy Spirit. And for that we say, oh, thank you. Blessed be your name. We would be those who demonstrate your credentials to heal, to display miracles in Jesus' name, to prophesy, to speak in tongues, and be ready to interpret a tongue. As we walk through this Pentecost, we would call on you as your servants to display your signs and wonders And we expect the lost to hear and see what you're doing and rush to you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Forge, this Pentecost. Keep calling on his name. You're loved, and we'll see you soon.